Our passage this morning is from Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw how huge the crowd, saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late into the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and get something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We, we'd have to work for a month to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone um, goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their, in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when, he, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking it was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Good morning, church. It is good to be home, to be with you again, even if it is just through the stream. Uh, this morning, our family was able to get away for the last two weeks down in Southern California, and just uh, we were refreshed, got to be at the beach and eat some really good tacos and just uh, spend some really quality time with our family. So thank you for that. And just thank you to everybody who supported us, um, Mike and John, uh, teaching, Zach for filling in, uh, leading worship, just feel so loved and supported and, as I said, refreshed and excited to be here this morning and to open up God's word with you. So this morning we're looking at Mark 6, and I think the, the subject really is Jesus and how he is the shepherd who feeds and fills us. Now, Mark, 
just a little recap, Mark is written for disciples. It's a roadmap for discipleship to Jesus. So in a time where there's a lot of confusion about what's going on in the world, about what is true, about what is false, about who we are, because so many of our rhythms and practices have radically been upturned, um, confusion about what we're to be doing as people, as disciples of Jesus, as the church, Mark's gospel is a roadmap for the people of God how to follow the way of Jesus. And so we should be tuning in. We should be in the word and, and just observing Jesus. Now, Mark is also a book of mystery. We've been talking about this. Mark's gospel is so filled with mysterious references to Jesus and his identity. Mark, though rarely quoting the Old Testament, is a master of the biblical text and has told the story of how God is cryptically and mysteriously present and bringing his kingdom on earth through the suffering, crucified, and resurrected Messiah, Jesus. Richard Hayes says this, for Mark, the character of God's presence in Jesus is a mystery that can be approached only by indirection through riddle-like allusions to the Old Testament. We're going to see a lot of this in our passage today. And as we've noted, Mark's Jesus speaks cryptically and mysteriously on purpose because he wants us to press into his story of Jesus so we don't miss out on what God is doing so we don't miss how God has brought his kingdom, is bringing his kingdom even presently into the world, and how we join him in that kingdom work. So let's look at our passage this morning. The first thing, uh, the first story that we looked at is the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the multitude. And I think it needs to be remembered that this story comes right on the tails of the news concerning John the Baptist. Now, in Matthew, it's recorded that John's disciples, after they bury John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, they come and they tell Jesus. As well as we have the return from the apostles from their successful mission of preaching and casting out demons. Now, Jesus calls the disciples to a ministry retreat. He says, okay, come on, let's gather together, let's get out of here, let's get away. They need a debrief, as it were, because things, uh, as they're going on, there's hustling and bustling, there's crowds, they have no time to eat. No time to fellowship and debrief because of the crowds. So they go by boat to the other side of the lake, but the multitude take note of Jesus and his disciples, possibly because of their message had spread as they went out two by two, that it, people were now following even the disciples and not just Jesus. And so they follow them to the other side of the lake on foot. So the plan is to retreat to get alone time with Jesus, to reconnect, to rejuvenate, and it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Because they get out of the boat at this remote, deserted location, and the whole multitude is waiting for Jesus. Now, have you ever had the experience where you wanted to be alone, you needed to be alone, maybe for a work project, maybe just for some much-needed you know, reading or just alone time, relaxation, rejuvenation, uh, maybe some time away from the kids, and you run into someone who sits down at your table uninvited and spoils this precious time that you have, right? Maybe you've been on a date, um, 
a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, and you run into friends or another couple and they join your table uninvited, right? And just inside, of course, you're too polite to say so, but inside you're just dying. This, no, this can't be happening. I, there was this precious moment, this precious time that we were protecting. That's what this must have been like, I think, for Jesus and for the apostles. We've all had frustrating and disappointing moments like these, and yet I'm just blown away by the way Jesus responds to the crowd in the midst of his own grief over John, his need to connect with his team and disciples, his own desire to get away and be alone. He doesn't respond with annoyance, with frustration, but it says with compassion. Mark says, he saw them, the multitude, like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. I think an, another part of this, compassion, but he didn't just give them a parable. He didn't just give them a teaching, just, all right, fine, one for the road, right? No, he gave them his time, his attention, and care, and taught them many things. He gave himself to the multitude. It's powerful. Now, this reference of the people being like sheep without a shepherd is purposeful here for two reasons. First, we've just been told about King Herod and about his lack of godly leadership. The people of Israel are without a true king. So Jesus, his compassion, his presence, his feeding, forming, his filling the people is a juxtaposition to Herod, but it would also be a hyperlink back to Numbers 27, 17. Moses in that passage is about to die, and he has this great concern that as he passes on, that the people of God will be without a leader. They will be without someone to uh, shepherd them and watch over them, someone to care for them. So Moses pleads there with the Lord that the people of Israel would not be leaderless, that they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. And there, God commands Moses to anoint Yahshua, Joshua, as their new leader and he is the one who will shepherd the people and lead them into the land. So there's this fascinating hyperlink back to Numbers 27 and to Moses, but actually there's many little hyperlinks and proverbial breadcrumbs being dropped by Mark all throughout the story. Let's look at a few of them. So first of all, three times Mark mentions that they are going to or in a desolate place. It's like, it's the wilderness. By the way, they went to the wilderness. Oh, he fed them in the wilderness. So wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. Mark wants us to know it's the wilderness. The second thing we're told is there's a huge multitude. 5,000 men. This does not include the women and the children that are present. And they've come to listen to Jesus and receive his teaching. The third thing we see is there is a miraculous feeding of this great multitude, a miraculous feeding. Uh, Jesus later in John 7 will actually connect this, and the multitude will connect it to the manna of the wilderness. Then there is this dispute with Jesus and his disciples about how the multitudes can be fed. The disciples tell Jesus to send the crowds away, and Jesus tells the disciples to feed the crowds. Now, this is really fascinating because we've been talking about how 
Mark is all about discipleship to Jesus. Remember, it's the being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus in order to do what he did. Now, we saw that Jesus has sent disciples out to do what he did, to preach and to cast out demons. But even here, here is Jesus inviting disciples into his ministry. He's including them. He's, he, what, what idea do you have? How would you feed them? You take the wheel. You direct us. You feed the multitudes. But notice what they say. Very similar to the way Moses complains to God in the Old Testament. Where are we to get meat to feed all these people, Moses said. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Or if all the fish in the sea were caught? Or as the disciples say, even if we had eight months worth of wages, that would not be enough to feed this multitude. Fourthly, Jesus then has them seat the people in groups of 100 and groups of 50. This is similar, again, to how Moses organized the camp of Israel. And then, of course, he multiplies the five loaves and two fish and feeds a multitude. And even after that, there is an abundant amount of leftovers, 12 baskets full. Now, the point here, if you haven't caught on already, is that Jesus is doing Moses-type stuff. And the people catch on to this, as we know from John chapter 6. They connect it to the manna in the wilderness. Now, all of this should cause us and should cause the people who were present to be asking Mark's big question, right? What is that? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus the new Moses, the prophet that was going to be like Moses that God would raise up? Is that who Jesus is? He's doing a lot of Moses-like things. Is Jesus the shepherd king like David, the one who would lead God's people in and lead them out, who would care with compassion for them? And the answer that we should arrive at is yes, Jesus is the new Moses. Yes, Jesus is the new David, but he is so much more. Now, the reference to the sheep being without a shepherd, I referenced earlier from Numbers 27, but it's also found again, this metaphor is found in the prophets, and especially in Ezekiel 34. There, God is upset with the shepherds of Israel, with the kings and their leaders, for they, just like Herod, fed themselves. They clothed themselves, were worried about their own benefit and popularity. They used the people for their own selfish desires and benefit. They led the people in injustice and unrighteous. These were rampant in the land of Israel at the time. And so God says this in the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> he says, I will tend my people in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another and I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God 
and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So the question after reading this Ezekiel passage is, who shepherds God's people and feeds them with miraculous bread in the wilderness? And in this Ezekiel passage, it is the Lord God himself. And if we didn't pick that up already, Ezekiel 34, 31 says emphatically, God speaking, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. I mean, even Mark's detail here that Jesus has the people recline on the green grass as he feeds them. What a strange thing to note. Like, multitudes, there's this many, it's a desert place. Yeah, he's given us all these details. And he's like, by the way, they lay down on the green grass or recline on the green grass. What a strange thing to note. It sounds a lot like Psalm 23, doesn't it? We read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me by still waters. So all of this is going on. It, the, Jesus is just painting this incredible picture for the disciples to catch on to who he really is. He's not just Moses. He's not just David. There's something greater than Moses. There's something greater than David here. And yet we know that both from this gospel and from the gospel of John that no one sees that Jesus is not just Yahweh's prophet like Moses or Yahweh's king like David. None of them see this. It's all lost on them. It's lost that he's Yahweh himself shepherding a sheep. But why? Why doesn't anyone see it? And especially, why don't the disciples see it? Well, the next section actually gives us insight to this. So I want to read again verses 45 through 52. So it says, after the feeding, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Again, Moses-like stuff. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard against the wind and waves. They were struggling. So about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Listen, their hearts were too hard to take it in. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So what's going on in this passage of this apocalypse on the water, right? There have been quite a few attempts to make sense of this passage. Most commentators settle on that this is just once again showing Jesus's divine power over the elements of creation. Okay, yeah, that it definitely shows that, but we've already seen that in Mark's gospel, that Jesus has power over wind and sea. So why the need then for a second recording, if that's all that this is? Others see in this passage, 
a reference to the Exodus, as God parted the waters and the people crossed on dry land. But again, that doesn't actually work for this passage because Jesus is not parting the waters and walking on dry land. Jesus is walking on the waters like they're dry land. So not only that, but here we find one of the strangest sentences in the gospel. We just read it. It says, he, Jesus, intended to go past them or he meant to pass them by. What in the world is going on in this passage? It's like, isn't the whole point that Jesus is coming to his disciples to reveal himself to him, to show them his power and glory, that he's walking on the waters, and yet he's just going to pass them by? What is going on? Well, we can search the Old Testament, but Job chapter 9 is actually the best interpretation of what is happening in this passage. There in Job chapter 9, Job is speaking about God's incomprehensible power. It's so far beyond him. It's so high above him. And now I'm going to quote from the Septuagint here, which is beautiful. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This, is, this would have been Jesus's Bible, his translation. It says, who commands the sun and it does not rise? Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens and walks upon the sea as upon dry ground? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond understanding and marvelous things without number? Look, he passes by me and I do not see him. He moves on, but I cannot comprehend him. That's Job chapter 9, verses 7 through 11. So here we have this picture of Yahweh trampling the seas like dry ground and passing by Job without his knowledge. And of course, this phrase, the passing by, is used again and again in scripture, both with Moses and Elijah. Remember when God hid Moses into the cleft of the rock, and he passed by, and Moses saw his train of glory. Remember when Elijah was put into the cave, and God's glory passed in front of him. It's that same passing by. It's this incredible picture of human inability to grasp God's power and greatness, to, to actually behold his glory. He's so far beyond us. He's so high above us. And that's exactly what we see here in our passage. Jesus is not just Yahweh's servant or anointed king. He that leads and feeds, he is the incomprehensible God. That's who he is, the incomprehensible God who is here in flesh teaching feeding and caring for his people. He is the one, like Yahweh, the prophets foretold that Yahweh would prepare a feast in the wilderness. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh who blesses, breaks, and gives the bread that is his body, that we may have life and that we might have his presence with us always. He is the Lord who tramples the sea like dry ground. And when we cry out in fear, he says, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. I mean, guys, I know that you've been reading this passage throughout the week, but it is just dripping with Old Testament references and, and just pictures. It's incredible. There's probably many, many more that we have missed. It's the I am, it's the cleft of the rock, it's God's glory, it's Job 9, it's Ezekiel 34, it's so on and so forth. This is incredible stuff. 
the picture we have here is that Jesus is the Lord who is a shepherd to his people, who makes the wilderness a retreat, reclining on the green grass. At this retreat, God's people are fed. They're given the instruction of God's word. Many have seen with this the five loaves being a type of the five books of Moses, that this is Jesus's teaching, his fivefold teaching like Moses that he's given the people, that the 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's an abundance, there's plenty for everyone. He can feed and instruct his people, but he also forms them. You notice how he organized the people in groups of 50 and 100. He organizes us for mission, for ministry, and then it says that he filled them. They, he left them satisfied. They were filled. And of course, it's the reference of the Eucharist, communion, that the, the bread is blessed, it's broken, and it's given. We are filled on Jesus, on his teaching, uh, by his presence. There's an abundant leftover, an overflowing cup, as it were, Man, there's just so much beauty about Jesus here. Now, I want to hone in a little bit because I know I could go a thousand ways in this passage, but I want to hone in here on this idea of the transformation of the desert into, excuse me, yeah, the desert into an oasis. William Lane, a commentator, says this, the transformation of the desert into a place of refreshment and life through the power of God is an aspect of the wilderness tradition in the prophets. As we read in Ezekiel, God says, I will make with them, the people, a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. There will be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. Another place is in the Isaiah chapter 35 we have there this vision of streams in the desert and we could talk truly for hours about this wilderness motif about how God through his power and his presence he is able to make the wilderness blossom in like the garden of Eden now through the wilderness motif Mark is presenting Jesus as the eschatological savior that the prophets foretold. He's the Lord delivering Israel from exile and slavery and bringing them safely through the wilderness, transforming it into a garden paradise. This is what is being this is this incredible picture portrait that's being put on display for the disciples to take in who Jesus really is, even for the multitudes to grasp who he really is. But here's the tragic thing, you guys. The disciples don't get it because their hearts are hard. This is incredible. The disciples, the ones who would have been the recipients of this hope-filled vision, the ones who should be blown away by it, don't get it. They're afraid. They're not in tune. They think Jesus is some ghost or sea demon. They're out of step with what Jesus is doing with the multitudes. And it says all of this is lost on them. This incredible epiphany, this huge hope-filled vision of provision in the wilderness because their hearts are hard concerning the loaves. Now, what, what is it about the loaves? Why? What, what, disappointment? 
about the whole scene. We wanted to get away. We wanted to be alone. We're tired of the multitude. We're, 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 we're exhausted. We, this isn't what it's supposed to be. Frustration, annoyance. What is it? I actually don't know. I don't know what this really means, but we know this. Their hearts are hard, and so they miss out on what God is doing. They miss out on this beautiful portrait, this, this offer on hand from God of his provision, of his presence, of his compassion and care. They miss out on it. Now, bringing ourselves into this story, it's fascinating to note as we have in the past, for followers of Jesus reading this gospel, the point is to identify ourselves with the disciples. Now, sometimes that's positive. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they listen. Sometimes they obey. Sometimes they see. Sometimes they believe. And other times their hearts are hard, as in this passage. So this, church, is a warning passage, I think. A warning passage. What am I talking about? How is this a warning passage? At this moment, let's bring this home to us. At this moment, we are in a proverbial wilderness. We've been saying it since the beginning of this pandemic, right? As we experience the fallout and residual effects of this pandemic, there's a temptation to harden our hearts. This should not be. This was not in my planner for 2020. God, have you left us? Have you brought us out into the wilderness? I was exhausted. 2019 was a drag. Have you brought us out into 2020 to die? We long for the provision and comfort of what we've left from, 20, or from 2019. We long for the successes and, and, and the comforts, the vacations, the, the ease, our kids going to school, a thousand things. We mourn what we've lost. This is not what we planned for. But listen, church, our shepherd is able to make the wilderness, the desert into a paradise because he is with us and because he is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who creates streams in the desert, who makes the desert blossom like the garden of Eden. He is the source of life, the fountain of joy and blessing. He is the great I am. And let me ask you this, what does Psalm 23 even mean? What is it even for if not comfort and assurance of God's presence, guidance, care, sustenance, and protection through all of life's twists and turns? What is it for if not for this moment? What is the point of telling us God is a tower of refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble? Therefore, we shall not be moved. What are these passages for? If not, to bring comfort to our hearts. All of this is hope-filled truth for the journey. All of this is to sustain us, to make us resilient people through the knowledge of God's presence provision and protection. But let me say this. It's not just for us. I believe at this moment God wants to powerfully show himself and his gracious offer through us to others. 
Remember last year when we talked about wisdom literature. What's the point of wisdom literature? We saw that God, through his wisdom, through his word, he constructs this garden-like paradise for the woman and the man to dwell in, for all of creation to experience shalom. And then we read the book of Proverbs and we find these same instructions that we, through the wisdom and knowledge of God, through his presence and in his instruction, we can make our lives into these garden-like places where we dwell with God, where we walk with him in the cool of the day, where we experience his shalom, where we experience his righteousness and his justice and his goodness. Church, Jesus wants to feed and lead the leaderless multitudes because he is the compassionate shepherd. God wants to be an oasis to people in the midst of their wilderness journey. So here's the question. Will disciples help or hinder the Lord in his work? Will we, like the disciples, send the multitude away? Get rid of them. Get rid of this trouble. Get rid of this obstacle. Will we try to send the multitudes away? Will we try to get out of this uncomfortable situation, complaining, kicking, and screaming the whole way? Or will we say, Lord, use me as a vessel to show your goodness, your presence, and your provision. Use me in this wilderness to be an oasis to those around me so I can point back to God who is the fountain of all life. If our hearts are hardened through unbelief like the disciples, if we find, as I'm even saying this, if you find just yourself like irritated by me, I mean, that might be some, there might be something there to do with me, but if this is bothering you, what I'm saying, you probably need to ask and pray for a fresh revelation of Jesus like these disciples had, to see the Lord who walks upon the stormy waters. They're at his feet. They're underneath him. He tramples the waves of the sea like dry land. It's nothing to him. And he comes to rescue us, to speak peace to our hearts. You need a vision of the shepherd who makes the wilderness a garden. We need the Holy Spirit, church, now, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to breathe life into us, to replace our heart and obstinate hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And so let's do that now as we close. Let's pray that the Lord would do that for us, that he would bring us back to that place where we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me rest in fields of green and by these quiet streams. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for the I am. He is with me. That we can say that now in this moment. So, and that we can be these billboards, these signs, that we can be these oasis pointing others to God who is the fountain of life. So Holy Spirit, would you do that now? Would you open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to see your glory and presence? Lord, would you Soften us so that we would not hinder others from seeing you. Would we not forget, Lord, that we do not belong to ourselves, that our life is much more than comfort and ease. Our life has been bought with the precious blood of Christ. That bread, that body that was blessed and broken and given to us, that sacrifice so we could live. We do not belong to ourselves. 
We belong to you. And so, Lord, would we live to put your life, your truth, this revelation of you on display. So, Lord, in doing that, Lord, you must give us a fresh revelation of you so we don't miss you passing us by. Open our eyes to the ways that you are already at work in the world in ways that we might miss because of the hardness of our hearts. You are the Lord who shepherds us and leads us through the wilderness. The Lord who has compassion on us, who teaches us, who organizes us for mission, who feeds and sustains us through this pandemic. Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts, we ask. In the precious, wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Church, now as we worship, I just encourage you just to let that prayer linger in your heart, to pray that as we sing to the Lord together. And just throughout this week, just to continue to pray that prayer. Lord, soften my heart. Give me a revelation of you, of your presence, of your power, of your provision in the midst of this wilderness.